Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Betty Page, the model who took the 50s by storm, was born and raised right here in Music City. She blended style, charm, and an unabashed confidence in her photos. Let's not forget her legendary bangs. Over the years, her image has seen a resurgence and her life has influenced a new generation of fans. Tomorrow, Paige would have turned 100 and a special celebration will take place at the city's first Betty Page Day. So, who was this icon? How did her legacy influence folks? Later this hour, we'll talk with fans and some folks who knew her. But first, a real quick update from the state legislature. Representative Scotty Campbell, a Republican from Mountain City, has resigned after accusations that he sexually harassed legislative interns became public. In March, a House subcommittee found that he violated House discrimination and harassment policies, yet he was not removed from the legislature or from his leadership position. Later this month, Campbell voted to expel two Democratic House members. Earlier this month, pardon me, Campbell voted to expel two Democratic House members for breaking House rules. WPLN's political reporter Blaze Ganey has been covering this story, and you can find more at WPLN.org. All right. Now, if you're a turntable owner like me, you are very excited for tomorrow. Audiophiles across the country are eagerly anticipating Record Store Day. There are plenty of record stores in our city and here to give you the clues on where you can go and buy some very limited edition vinyl is the one and only Celia Gregory from our sister station, WNXP. Hey, Celia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Another short walk down the hall. So glad to be with you, though. Glad to have you with us. Okay, so give us a background on Record Store Day for people who don't know about it. Yeah, Record Store Day started, it was this idea in 2007. It was born among a couple independent record store owners. They were like, how can we really like remind people how important this is. The idea of a brick and mortar store where you can go and dig through crates and find something that you love. And so it's like self-promotional sort of was when it started, but it's now taken off and become this huge thing in the last 15 years and nearly like 1500 record stores participate across the country. Okay. So you can, there are like select records that are released only for record store day, right? Yes, indeed. It sort of gives like artists and labels a chance to package something maybe old and like refashion it and revive it. Maybe an anniversary issue, maybe a new color vinyl. Maybe it's like remixes. It's like any reason to resurge this piece of art uh, or maybe release something brand new. They use record store day as an excuse to get that to some of the rabid fans. And it really does sort of separate the wheat from the chef in Mm. in some ways because it is such a competitive thing. Some like very limited runs. Uh, So it becomes like a real collector's day for for vinyl. Okay, so what are some of the notable names on this year's list that our listeners should be on the lookout for? Okay, well, people would really be upset. Several of my friends would text me if I didn't mention hmm. Taylor Swift has a special release tomorrow. Yeah, you, know, you I, have to ever mention Taylor. I Don't mentioned, forget that. you know, I mentioned that the, the, they range in, in number. So some of these, it'll be like for an independent small artist, it might be only 700 records are pressed for Record Store Day nationwide. Hmm. So they're divvied up across all these stores, right? So not every store has everything. But for, for Taylor Swift, 75,000 copies of this folklore, like special thing, that's actually like a golden ticket for a Swifty because there's millions of fans vying for that piece of vinyl, right? So that's one notable one. I mean, we have 
artists that we play on WNXP, like Jose Gonzalez, has a remix LP of his most recent record, Beach House, Bjork. But then there's all these like classic rock things too, these insanely obscure singles, like three-inch singles from The Doors. We have live records from Pearl Jam, Motorhead. And I saw that on the list, uh, the record, uh, Yes, the band Yes performed in Knoxville, Civic Auditorium. So if any Tennesseans are at that show in 1972, you can pick it up on vinyl on Saturday. I saw that some legends like um, Roy Ayers and Archie Shep, jazz legends, were having releases on there. I was really excited. I'm going to have to get in line early. But, But tell me. What about some of the local artists who are featured during Record Store Day? Yeah, Khalil, I'm here to, I'm so excited you asked because I have somebody that's like really like this young upstart up and comer that has a record out. Uh, Dolly Parton, uh, she's from Tennessee. <laughs> she's got. This, I, I heard about her. It sounds like her. she has promise. She's, yeah, we're, we're, we're keeping eyes on her. No, she's got a Monument Singles uh, release coming out. So early singles from 1964 to 1968. I got my eye on that for sure. Uh, and jokes aside, Jason Isbell, Amanda Shires, they're actually official Record Store Day ambassadors for mm. Nationwide based right here in Tennessee. And so for that event, they've released a little EP. It's a 12-inch with some covers and some originals as well. Nice. Okay, so is this just a day for people to go and buy vinyl or special merch? And what else is going on during this day? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. I mean, for folks that still like love CDs or only listen to the radio, shout out. We love you so much. WNXP.org, 91.1. We love uh, folks that listen to all sorts of formats of music, but it's really become a cultural event in the city. And it's such a music city as this. It's an opportunity to feature live local bands, some DJs spinning out, uh, like you said, merchandise. And this is a huge day for these independent businesses. The whole point of this is to elevate the idea of a record store. And it's an experience. It's more than just spending your money, although we hope you do that to mm-hmm. support especially local artists at local stores. That's like the, you know, it's good for your heart health to do that. Um, but no, it's more than that. It's live music. It's a place to gather. It's really community building as well. What stores in town will be participating? Yeah, well, I don't have a comprehensive list. WNXP.org does have a short list of things that we knew were happening this Saturday. Shout out to the Nashville scene. They actually published one yesterday that's a much more comprehensive, like, here's where to go, here are the set times and things like that. Mm. Just remember, like, you're not going to be able to find everything on this list, which is 300 plus titles at a given record store. They just don't have the quantities available and it becomes a little bit of like an arms race uh, for these record shops. So be patient. You might find something that you want. You might find something that surprises you that you didn't have on your list. And crate digging etiquette, no elbows. That's right. No elbows. Honestly, imagine if you ran the store, be the kind of person you would want in your store, right? Exactly. And be patient, be kind. I mean, the, these stores have adapted for Record Store Day. It's like all hands on deck on a Saturday. Um, they have figured out how to queue people up and move them through. So just don't don't be a jerk. Be be a good neighbor. Be a good friend. And you might meet somebody. Listen, Khalil, one of my best friends met her future husband in line at Record Store Day in oh, 2011. Wow. Love, connection, and vinyl. I yeah. love it. Now, collecting vinyl has become a lot more popular over the years after the format was mostly replaced by CDs way back in the day for those of us who remember that. Where do you think the rise in interest now is coming from? You know, I think in general in music and for all art appreciators, there's an appreciation of things that have come before and that passed. So there's this like retro appreciation of vinyl, but I think it's much more like a tactile experience, like people in this age of singles dropping and you can just the immediacy of hearing a new song immediately when it's released on, on a streaming service. People kind of like the idea that you have to get up and put a record on the record player 
and you hear this warmth, this crackle, you know, this, the, it's a funny, it's like a fully body experience, a sonic experience, a tactile experience. You have to get back up to flip it over for side two. I also think there's an appreciation of how albums used to be made with the idea of the track listing in mind, not just singles, mm-hmm. you know, hearing it in order, tracks one through 12, like I said, with that break in the middle. I think people are really going back to that sense. And also there's the audio quality. So folks still think that it's superior to anything digitally uh, or anything in the future we're maybe going to get. All right. So do you have a prized album? You know, I, I think my mom's listening. One day I will inherit her collection. Shout out, mom. I, I'm not eager for that day yet. I can be patient. But I think in the meantime, I've found stuff from, like I said, local artists, sometimes signed copies at a local record store from a local artist feels really special. Thinking about Bully, who has a new record coming out, but her last one was signed at Grimey's. Um, and then I also have like some classic rock things I've found. I'm a little bit of a, a head. And like when I find uh, like a David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, an original copy, Ooh. I spent the big bucks on that. Yeah. I think I'm going to want to have that forever and give it to somebody later on for me, too. Okay, so you touched on this a little earlier, but anybody who's new to Record Store Day, really, what should they keep in mind when going out to these stores in order to have not just a good, but a great shopping experience? Yeah, I think just appreciation that these places still exist. So first of all, go in with that frame of mind that like, how cool is it that we live in Music City and there are innumerable (laughs) places to get music and there are a lot of them right here in this beautiful city. And like you said, be patient, be kind, have a good time, uh, spend your money locally. It's going to feel good for you and definitely for the artists and the record store owners. Yes, and don't forget to wash your hands by digging through records. They can get a little bit dusty. That is Celia Gregory from our sister station, WNXP. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'll see you out there. I'll pick you up at like 5 a.m. so we can get in line. Okay, we're going to go dig in tomorrow. That's right. 5 a.m. We'll have coffee and vinyl. (laughs) We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll get to the story on the first ever Betty Page Day and learn what the historic icon means to the folks who are celebrating it. Are you a Betty Page fan? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. The 1950s icon Betty Page has remained a fixture in American culture for her style, wit, and of course, her ever-famous bangs. The Nashville native was born on April 22, 1923, and attended Hume Fogg High School, where she was the salutatorian. After graduating college and moving to New York City to pursue acting, Page was introduced to the world of modeling. She quickly became one of the top pinup models of the 50s, eventually earning her the moniker Queen of Pinups. To honor her, the city of Nashville will celebrate the first ever Betty Page Day on what would have been her 100th birthday. My next guest helped set that in motion, and he joins me now. I'd like to introduce Ben Wilkinson of Murfreesboro to This Is Nashville. Ben, thanks for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is great to have you here. So you are in part responsible for getting the city to officially honor one of its most iconic citizens. What is going to happen for Betty Page Day and what can people expect to see? So it's Betty's 100th birthday. I wish she was here to see it, of course. But we are going to dedicate a historic marker to Betty Page outside of her old high school, which is the perfect place for it. It's Hume Fog. It's downtown. It's where she excelled. It's where she really came into her own, and she was the star student of her class in 1940. So that's where the marker's going to be. It's going to be a great 
great day, a great historic day for Nashville. It's awesome. What can family members expect when people bring their people out there? There's going to be some people there <clears throat> from Betty's life. Uh, there's going to be some people from her legacy, some biographers to speak at the dedication. Um, it's just going to be a spectacular event. It's going to be a very, very happy event. I'm, I, I'm very excited that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Now, this all started with the idea that had you had to get Betty Page a historical marker here in Nashville. Talk to me. How did that? How did that process go? And how did that lead to the official Betty Page Day? Well. I, I've always, well, I've always, about 20 years ago, I found out she was from Nashville, and I realized that not a lot of people knew she was from here. So it's always been in the back of my head that it would be great if Nashville would officially recognize that Betty's from here with a marker. So I've always kind of had it in the back of my head. Well, last year, it just, I was like, it's time. It's time to make a proposal to the city. I got on the Historical Commission's website. They lay it out pretty, pretty easy. You know, they, they lay it out what you have to do, which it's, it's like writing a research paper. Honestly, hmm. you have to do your research. You have to cite your research. You have to make the case as to why this person or event is his, historically significant. So I worked on it for about a week and got a really good friend to proofread it. I'm a little out of shape. I was a history major in college, but that was 20 years ago. Okay. I sent it off. I didn't know what would happen. I thought maybe I would hear back. Maybe I wouldn't, but at least I tried. And sure enough, about two or three weeks later, they, they said they received it. They're going to review it. And about two months after that, they passed it. And once the marker got passed, um, this was back in December, I thought, well, you know, it's her 100th birthday on April 22nd. That would be the perfect day to dedicate it. Um, I reached out to the mayor's office. I sent them a proposal. Well, can we make this Betty Page day? I made my case to them and they agreed. The, the mayor signed it that, that day. Wow. And they, they called me and they said, oh, your proclamation's here. Come pick it up. <laughs> how, did, how did it feel for you once it was officially done? Amazing. I've never really felt anything quite like it. Just, wow. I was like, I did that. <laughs> it was very, very amazing. So tell us, where can folks find more information about Betty, Betty Page Day? Oh, it's it's all, well, I hate to say social media, but it's all over social media. People are spreading it like wildfire. Uh, the Betty Page website has some information about it. The historical marker is going to be dedicated at three, and there's going to be an after party across town. I don't know if I can say where that's at. or <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Eastside Bowl. And that's going to be at five o'clock and that's going to be a really fun event. There's going to be a pinup contest. There's going to be a fashion show with the Betty Page clothing line supplying clothes and Bernie Dexter supplying clothes. She's a, she's a pinup icon that's going to be in town just for this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be a really good time. And I just, I'm, I can't believe it's happening and I can't wait. Now, you mentioned this earlier that 20 years ago, you learned mm -hmm. a lot about Betty Page. Mm-hmm. What was it about her when you learned about it that really fascinated you? Well, at first it was just the amazing images. They're very, some of her modeling images are so powerful. Um, not many people took pictures like that. The photographers that she teamed up with, they just captured lightning in a bottle. And once I learned more about her and her history, I became even more interested in, in Betty herself. Not, the, not Betty the icon, but Betty the person. Then I just realized that she inspires so many people today, even to this day. She continues to. Generation after generation, people get inspired by what she did in the 50s, by the barriers that she broke down. Artists are inspired by her. Models, 
fashion, movies, television. You can see her inspiration and her influence everywhere. Now, you know, you're right. Paige impacted many areas of American culture since her debut in the 50s. My next guest has definitely felt that influence. Autumn Leaves is a local burlesque performer, and she joins us now. Autumn, thank you very much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, <laughs> you're you're a burlesque performer. Tell me, how yeah. has how has Betty Page influenced burlesque culture? So, um, pinup culture and burlesque have run parallel. I mean, since since its start, but just her her aesthetic, her the way she held herself, you know, very, very powerful and burlesque is, you know, about holding power on stage. Um, even just, just, you know, her look, people will, you know, sport fake bangs if they don't want to take the plunge into, uh, cutting actual bangs. Um, I actually performed with a girl last night. I'm in Chicago right now, but I performed with a girl who, um, doesn't have bangs, but she'll make some for, for stage. Mm -hmm. So, um, and just, the, the leopard print, and then when she was doing more um, fetish modeling, that's also inspired a lot of burlesque performing because it's you know it's it's a little bit of of the subculture add, adding a little bit of um, risque to to the pinup mm. genre. I, I understand now. She definitely influenced burlesque culture. How did she influence your performance style? I. I think her, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, her um, just power, because like the way that she posed, it was very, you know, here I am, look at me. <laughs> uh, I I really embody that on stage because it's a very, uh, you know, it's 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 a uh, art form that's a little, uh, what's the word? <laughs> um it, it's hard to, to get that confidence when you're up there, especially in front of a room full of, you know, strangers and you're, you're stripping off your, your fancy sparkly stuff. It's just being, being confident and, and telling the audience I'm here, we're here together. Let's have a good time. Mm -hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about the impact of the cultural icon and Nashville native Betty Page. How has Betty Page influenced you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, I'd like to welcome my next guest. Tori Rodriguez is the owner of Betty Page Fitness in Atlanta, host of the Betty Page podcast, and author of two books about the Nashville icon. Tori, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's really great to have you here with us. So, you know, you have this podcast about Betty Page and a fitness class, class influenced by her. I want to hear more about the fitness class. How does that take inspiration from Paige? Yeah, it's actually, so the company is Betty Page Fitness, and it's um, it's actually uh, two videos in the collection so far. There's a, a total body strength and cardio video and a, and a Betty Page yoga video. And um, it's they're inspired by Betty in a couple of ways. Um, one uh, is just sort of mechanistically, like the moves are actually based on her, um, her pinup poses. Hmm. Um, so a little bit of creativity there. Um, but the big thing is that it's really rooted in the joy of movement that's apparent in Betty's images. Um, you know, so much of fitness culture and especially diet culture, which is just rampant in, in our in our society, um, just 
you know, makes us feel bad about ourselves and, and uh, emphasizes external motivation, like, you know, burning off the, the brownie or, or, you know, working out so that you can um, earn food and that sort of thing. And so, um, but with Betty, it's just clear that she just felt really strong and, and vibrant in her body and, you know, really embraced the joy and privilege and freedom of movement. And, um, you know, like Autumn, I like that term that Autumn mentioned, you know, holding power in her body. Um, you know, so we try to capture a little bit of that, just help people connect with uh, the power of movement and really appreciate what their bodies have done and can do for them. It sounds like a lot more fun than Tybo, I'll tell you that. Now, yeah. you know, aside from like folks getting in shape, it feels like it's a celebration about the individual and who they are. Am I right with that? Yep, you you nailed it. Um, it's you know, and and even in 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 the Betty Page Yoga video, I incorporate like really um, a way for people to sort of kind of cultivate their their favorite traits about Betty and um, and kind of weave those in throughout the workout. And so yeah, it's really more of a, a personal empowerment thing. And and you're you're absolutely right. It's really a, a celebration of the body, a celebration of movement, and a celebration of Betty, of course. Mm-hmm. It seems like she was like body positive before the term became a thing that we recognize. Autumn, the other pinup star at the time, was Marilyn Monroe. How did Paige differentiate herself from the work Monroe was doing? So Marilyn Monroe, I think, was more, you know, mainstream. She was she was in more films, a little bit more popular. So um, Betty was more of a, a relatable type person. You know, she's from Nashville, especially for, you know, people in the South. You know, you find someone who's not, you know, glitz and glam Hollywood and you can you can relate a little bit more to her. She's she's more down to earth, I guess, or or came off that way. And I think that's that's what appeals to a lot of folks, especially if they're a little um, little hesitant, a little, you know, self-conscious. They want to find someone that's that's not going to be intimidating. You know, Marilyn's beautiful and her work is, you know incredible but it's it's also fun to see kind of a little bit of the dichotomy between like you know the blonde and then the dark hair and it's i i i just like betty's aesthetic you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can tell now ben why do you think betty page has such lasting appeal i think i really think that a lot of people when they know about Betty and when they know about her history, they love the way that she was a trailblazer in the fifties. I mean, she made her own um, clothing and she, she challenged um, some of the rigid societal norms of the fifties. I think people are gravitate towards that. They kind of look at her as a role model. She, she definitely stepped outside of a comfort zone for what she was doing in the 1950s. It was a completely different time. Obviously I think people are really attracted to that. You know, you can say arguably that although today is different times, her her willingness to kind of be an iconoclast and the bravery that you all have spoken about has really led her to be this icon that so many of you follow. How has her bravery inspired you? <clears throat> That's a great question because it's it inspires me to be authentic to myself. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about Betty is her whole life. She was authentic to herself even after she got out of the modeling industry and she went off the radar, she disappeared. She did what Betty wanted to do. 
it's like she never really gave in and was like, oh, I just I need to do this because this is what people expect of me. Even in her older age, that's 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 how she was from what I've read. And that inspires me to always just be be myself and and do what I want to do with my life. Now, Tori, the audience for Betty Page's pinup photos in the 50s was primarily men. But what does her legacy mean for women? Well, she, um, you know, as, as many Betty fans know, there's a, a legion of what I call um, Betty babes that that either either, you know, sort of emulate her her style aesthetically and or have drawn great inspiration from her in other areas of their lives. Um, and so, A, you know, the 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 visual piece, I, I realized at one point that that Betty is is definitely the most emulated person in history. Um, you know, women, you know, wake up every day and, and uh, you know, dress like Betty and go about their lives, you know, looking looking like Betty and rocking the Betty bangs and that sort of thing. But but also um, when I was writing my book, The Little Book of Betty and interviewed a lot of of these Betty babes for the book, I heard such a range of stories that even kind of surprised me that um, that Betty's influence was so deep that, you know, some some women talked about, you know, Betty, you know, drawing strength from Betty in recovery from eating disorders. Um, another woman talked about drawing strength from Betty to leave an abusive marriage. And so clearly the impact runs, runs you know, far deeper uh, than just her visual appeal. You know, so many folks that you're mentioning who have emulated Betty and um, Autumn kind of talked about this earlier. Marilyn Monroe was Essentially, I guess we would say her competition, but you don't see a lot of people really emulating Marilyn Monroe. But you see exactly. them, you see them kind of living in through this what Betty Page was doing. Autumn, you know, she's yeah. this trailblazer in all of these ways. What do you want us to know about her legacy and her impact? You know, I think the 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 biggest thing about Betty is that you know, or the thing the, the main thing I want people to know is that she was just you know fully human, you know, like the rest of us. Um, but that she really is a great example of someone who was very powerful um, and and very confident and very competent and and brilliant and all of those things. But yet she also you know had you know experienced many hardships and was, you know, clearly, um, she, she really sort of embodies the vulnerability of the human condition as well. Um, and so just, you know, I just want maybe people to draw inspiration from her in the sense of connecting with their own power, but also embracing their own vulnerability. Mm, seems like she was the, the main influence of the term authenticity before, you know, what we're doing Absolutely. here now. Ben, I understand, uh, Benny, I understand that you know, a lot of people are collectors. What is your prize I, of the Betty Page collection? Um, that's a great question. I have a 1940 Hume Fogg yearbook. Wow. And that, I don't know how many of those there are out there. Uh, there's been speculation that it's maybe under, under 20, 30, because they didn't make many of them. I think they really only made them for the faculty and the senior class. They didn't even really have pictures of the underclassmen, so there's not many. And you got to think, how many of those survived the, the, the test of time? Mm -hmm. So that's my prized possession. I also have an, an autographed picture of her 
that's authenticated and it's my favorite picture of her. And uh, yeah, those two things are my crown jewels for sure. How much did you pay for the yearbook? Oh, do I have to say? I think my <laughs> wife might be listening. <laughs> Let me just say I did have to get permission, but she was, my wife is very, very cool. And she's like, you've got to get it. She knew, she knew. It's like, you've got to get it. And it's investment well worth it. That was my guest, Ben Wilkinson. He was joined by Autumn Leaves, local burlesque performer. And Betty, we want to thank you so much. Ben is the organizer of the Betty Page. He's Betty Page enthusiast and organizer of Betty Page Day, which is tomorrow, everyone. Thank you both for joining us. Really appreciate it. Tori Rodriguez will stick with us through the break. Now, when we come back, we'll get to know more about Betty Page, the person, and hear about the later years of the Nashville icon's life. What is your favorite aspect of Betty Page's image? Tweet us at This Is Nashville, and let's go out on one of the many songs inspired by the late Betty Page. Here is My Baby Wants to Look Like Betty Page by Mystery Gang. We'll be right back. Kaliele Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been discussing the legacy of the iconic pinup model, Betty Page. Earlier, we discovered the inspiration behind the first ever Betty Page Day, which will be tomorrow on what would have been her 100th birthday. Now, let's learn more about the life of this Nashville icon and her later years. Mark Morey is an award-winning filmmaker and director of the documentary Betty Page Reveals All, and Ron Brem is Betty Page's nephew. Mark, Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Ah, it's great to be with you both. Now, Ron, your mother Goldie and Betty are sisters. That's correct. Tell me, what was they your, were both. What was your aunt Betty like? Well, Betty was very, very intelligent and also quite a comedian. She was very funny at all our family get-togethers. One of the first orders of business was always to exchange jokes amongst the family members. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that your mom was also a model as well, right? Yeah, that's correct. They they both uh, aspired to be models in the early days and uh, traveled around the country together a bit and uh, working with uh, different photographers. And uh, eventually my mom uh, also did a, quite a fair amount of burlesque dancing on her own too and then she met my dad and were kind of retired from that what did she tell you about the stories of being on the road chasing a model modeling career with her sister betty oh gosh uh 
Well, they they mentioned uh, getting to meet Hedda Hopper one time in, in San Francisco. And uh, just uh, they would exchange uh, cards and letters. Uh, my mom ended up staying in San Francisco for a, a time when uh, Betty moved uh, to New York. And they would write back and forth about different modeling agencies uh, they were getting to work with. And they were very excited about all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now tell me, Absolutely. you know, you've known your aunt since childhood. She's Aunt Betty. When did you learn that your Aunt <laughs> Betty was famous? Well, I when I was growing up, I knew that both my mom and Betty modeled a lot. But to be honest, the, the family kind of didn't explain to me exactly what kind of modeling they did. Okay. And it wasn't until I was about 19 years old, my mom went up into our attic in our house I grew up in, and she brought down this big box with all these magazines in it and such, and which I still have to this day. And uh you could say it was quite an eye-opening experience in a multitude of ways. I, I understand that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Mark, you knew Betty in the later years of her life when you worked on the documentary, Betty Page Reveals All. What was it like getting to know her as you worked on the project? Mark, are you with us? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think I was muted. Oh, that's all right. Happens to people all the time. It's one of the Zoom effects. So tell us. Yes, I I forgot. What was it like as you were getting to know Betty working on the project Betty Page Reveals All? Well, getting to know Betty, really, I have to say, is one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I first met her in 1996 when she was about 70 years old, and I would take her out to lunch and she would regale me with these stories of uh, bondage and fetish photo pinup shoots. And it's like your grandmother telling you about this stuff. It was really kind of amazing. But she was she had no uh, no feelings about it that were I mean, she she was just proud of it and very matter of fact about it. And she was really, I have to say, one of the most amazing people I've ever known. Mm. What was it about her personality that stood out to you? Well, she's just so genuine, and there's no ego. She maybe has less ego and more authentic than than just about anybody I've known. And she could not understand why people in the when I met her in the 1990s, why people were interested in her. I mean, she had retired from modeling in 1957. That was just a job to her. Mm-hmm. And she she could not understand her celebrity or the effect she had. In fact, I would say if she. I wish she was around to see what was happening tomorrow at Hume Fogg High School, her high school, because I think she could not understand why people would want to have a monument to her, yet she would be completely thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. Now, author Tori Rodriguez is still with us. Thank you again for being here. Now, Tori, I understand that you and Mark worked on the Betty Page podcast together after you saw his film, right? Yes, that's right. How did that come to be? Well, you know, the, and actually it was it was some years after I, I first saw his film and um, we had we were just, you know, talking about how Betty is really this this sort of springboard for a lot of just broader, 
social issues and just broader issues that sort of um, touch on the human condition. Um, and so we wanted to start a podcast um, that sort of dove into those issues. Now, how did how did it feel for you to hear her voice in the documentary? Did that really grow your connection to her? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was that was really powerful. Um, and, you know, that it's it, you know, it was amazing to be able to hear uh, her tell her own story. Um, because, it, you know, it, it was really the first time that we heard that her story from her own mouth. You know, I mean, she's done some interviews before, but um, never to that extent and never um, wh- where we could actually hear her voice. Um, so that was really powerful. And you can um, just hear, um, as Mark was saying, what a what a genuine and and authentic person and down to earth person she she really was. Now, now, Mark, you, you know, there's been plenty of documentaries about Betty Page, but you actually got the woman to speak in her own voice on the the film and the project. What did that mean to you? Well, it meant everything to me. I mean, because her Betty has has this wonderful personality that actually carries the film. If she didn't have that power and that personality and genuineness, she couldn't have carried the film with her voice. But that's what you only see her voice. I mean, you only hear her voice. You don't. She's not on camera in an interview. She she didn't want to do that. I kept trying to convince her. Well, I'm going to hire a Hollywood makeup person and hair person. And of course, she looked great. Even at 70, she still had the bangs. Her face was a little fuller, but she just still obviously Betty Page, and she looked great. And but I could never convince her to go on camera. But I did record many hours of audio where I just asked her every question I could think of. And that was really only my research early on. But when she finally just would not go on camera, I realized I could use all that audio to have her narrate the story of her life. Mm -hmm. Now, after Betty stepped away from modeling, she disappeared from public life and became very religious. But in your film, Mark, she says that her religion was never at odds with her career. Let's listen. I don't even believe God disapproves of nudity. After all, he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden naked as day birds. <laughs> I like that. Now, if in your in your conversations with Betty, how did she look back on her modeling career later in life? Well, she she obviously there, she has no shame about nudity. In fact, she embraced nudity. There's another place in my film where she talks about she liked to open the windows and run around the house nude for 15 minutes. She, she called that an air bath. But um, mm. uh, Betty, mm. Betty, you know, it was just a job to her. That's part of her genuineness. She didn't she had no ego about being some celebrity or uh, she could not even understand why people were following her and interested in her and admiring her photographs. 40, 50 years after she retired. Now, Ron, did you ever hear about these air baths? <laughs> Actually, I, I do recall something about that. Um, there, you know, the interesting thing when I viewed uh, Mark's film there is um, hearing Betty's voice and, and how much it's just exactly like uh, my own mother's. It's quite an ex, an emotional experience for me, to be honest, mm-hmm. and, it, and it makes me miss them both. Mm-hmm. And uh, Betty was really a great uh, aunt to me. She was very, very kind. 
one of my earliest memories was of her holding my hand walking around the zoo in St. Louis when I was only three years old. That's really special. And she, uh, yeah, she was, she was great. Mm-hmm. You know, some of Betty's most famous moments were from her time working with filmmakers and photographers, Irving Claw and his younger sister, Paula. Now, Mark, I believe there is one photo in particular that stood out to Betty when you asked her about her time, that time later on. Let's take a listen. One of the biggest sellers is a picture of me wearing my little leopard skin bikini, and I'm looking real mean holding this whip with one foot up on a stool and a cigarette dangling out of the side of my mouth. And the teenagers, Irving said, that's their favorite picture of me now. You know, I never smoked. (laughs) I hate cigarettes. Now, Tori, it feels like the images in which Betty is a little more dominant have become some of her most iconic. Why do you think that is? That's a really good question. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is just, again, it really, they really, uh, you know, embody in those photos, she really embodies that power that we, that we keep talking about. And it's just like, you know, I think that's one of the most captivating things is it's, it's so rare to see someone who you can just look at them and and just tell how how powerful they are. It's, it's you know it's almost it's almost intimidating. Um, and I, I think those especially those pictures where she's sort of you know Dom Betty, <laughs> as I as I call her, epitomize hmm. um, that. You know, during her career, she was persecuted for the very imagery that we celebrate today. Tori, how difficult was that for Betty to live her life the way she wanted? You know, it was it, it, when it got to that point, of course, it was extremely difficult um, because, you know, as as Ben and others have said, um, you know, it, it really is one of the things that that likely uh, led to her decision to leave modeling altogether. Um, but I see it as just so relevant to issues facing women today and always in the United States. You know, it's um, persecution by their governments for their sexuality. And I think a lot of people understand how that's relevant to what's happening uh, now, Um, you know, and just for exercising her freedom of choice. And and for her, it was literal persecution. Marlon, if I could add to that, please. But Betty just didn't understand why people had a problem with her nude photographs. I mean, she just was there was no shame, no judgment. She had no judgment about any of these things, and she couldn't understand why other people wanted to judge that. If you're just that's tuning very in, true. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kalia Lake We're talking this hour about the legacy of iconic pinup model Betty Page. My guests are Mark Mori, Tori Rodriguez, and Ron Brem. Join the conversation and tweet us at This Is Nashville. But you know, after she stopped modeling, she did have some difficult times in life. Tori, can you tell us about some of the mental health struggles she had? Yeah, she um, had been at some point in her life had been um, diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, uh, which, of course, is a a degenerative brain disease. Um, And, you know, back then, you know, it just I I have so much uh, sympathy for when I think about um, what she must have gone through so many decades ago when our understanding of mental illness and certainly the available treatments for mental illness were, were so um, <laughs> unevolved. Um, and, you know, so she, she had a long journey of, of trying to find stability uh, through that. And she 
um, had, you know, been institutionalized multiple times. She uh, spent, you know, close to 10 years combined at Patton State Psychiatric Hospital um, and just really struggled and struggled with with poverty as well as as she had in her in her early life. Mm. You know, she was yet, you know, able to come overcome those struggles later on Absolutely. in life. That's one of the one one of the key reasons uh, why also why why people are so inspired by her and including myself is just she uh, overcame so many what seemed to be insurmountable hardships and um, and still somehow you know kept that you know optimistic spirit and that you know she was able to connect with you know her sense of joy even even after all that you know yeah. well, if I could add to, if I could add to that. When you hear her voice narrating my film, this is after her mental difficulties. This is after her 10 years in patent state and all these things. And she sounds great. She sounds fantastic. So the, I, I, these, 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 uh, she overcame all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so Mark, talk to me about that. We understand that, you know, she had a hard life growing up. She has this career, she leaves, and then she then faces struggle and difficulty later on in life. But still, she endured and she overcame. How, how does her story, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but tell me in a little bit more in detail. How does her story really motivate and influence and inspire you? Well, see that you hit you hit the key thing right there. She faced immense difficulties. I mean, when when she her her her. Uh, father was sexually abusing her and her sisters her uh her uh mother her, her mother then left her father because of that and had she betty had to go into an orphanage for a while and then uh you, you know later in life after she retired she really had no income in fact when she was having mental difficulties it was partly because her brother had said he was going to take care of her, but then he didn't show up for her and she was just kind of left on her own. So her ability, her strength in overcoming all of these things and having a positive attitude, and that that is really sort of the key to Betty Page. No matter what happened to her, she's just inspired so many people. Mm. Now, Ron, did you get to spend much time with your Aunt Betty in those years after she stopped modeling? Yes. That's uh, actually my... Uh... I, I was born in 1958, so by the time I met Betty and my grandma in uh, 1961, I was only three years old. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, uh, I, we would, uh, our family would travel to Nashville uh, from Southern Illinois near St. Louis, and uh, we would have family get-togethers. Uh, Quite a bit uh, throughout my childhood there, and I have very fond memories of going uh, water skiing on uh, Percy Priest Lake here in Nashville with Betty and my mom and my Uncle Jack's boat. Mm. How do you feel about Nashville making tomorrow Betty Page Day? Uh, well, on on behalf of Betty and my mom and uh entire family i i can't say thank you enough for honoring uh, betty in that manner because um as as mark stated earlier i i don't think uh i think betty would be just uh, immensely proud 
I, I know that. And I want to thank uh, the city of Nashville and also Ben very much for his contribution mm. in making that happen. You know, so many people, they consider your aunt to be a hero and her image is still popular today. I'm curious, did your family have any idea of her enduring influence on people? I would say absolutely not. It, uh, I'm not sure my mom or Betty, either one, realized the impact that she's had around the world. And uh, even myself, I'm still coming to grips with that idea. It's a, it's an incredible thing. Well, it's a lasting legacy I, for the entire family to be proud of. Now, absolutely, Tori, tell me, in what ways can younger generations look at Betty's life as a source of inspiration? I think the biggest takeaway is, I mean, it, it sounds sort of cliche, but she really, again, symbolizes and embodies this more, probably more than, than anyone, uh, any public figure is really, you know, to be true to yourself, um, really, you know, follow your passions, you know, do, do what it takes to um, stay the course um, and, and living an authentic life and one that's true to yourself. Mm. Mark, and Khalil, if I could add something to that, please, uh, a, a lot of the reason Betty's audience today is more predominantly women is women in, in this country today are told by the mainstream media, if you're not a supermodel, if that's not what you look like, then you're not attractive. Just forget about it. That's essentially the message. And Betty is a way for a lot of young women to find confidence in themselves, find confidence in their sexuality, to be who you are, and you're attractive and you're you're uh you're a good woman and you can be sexy and you know you're not a supermodel and that's what that's what the, really I'll, I talk to a bunch of young women who really inform me about that. Mm. Do you have any upcoming projects about Betty Page? Uh, well, I'm 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 in discussions about it. Let me put it that way. Okay. Okay. So I I want to really thank you all for coming on to this show real quick though. Ron any words yes. do you want us to know, and listeners, any words, final words you want listeners to know about your Aunt Betty? Oh, my. Um, well, B Betty would be just so absolutely proud if she really did realize the extent of her influence around the world. She's, I, I know she... Uh, as, as Mark was saying, she she couldn't figure out why anybody would want to see pictures of her, which is, uh, I'm sure the rest of the world knows the answer to that. That's right. I want and, to Bama, thank you all for joining us. That is Ron Brem, nephew of Betty Page. He was joined by Mark Morey, director of the film Betty Page Reveals All, and Tori Rodriguez, host of the Betty Page podcast. Thank you again for joining us. And thanks for you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Rose Gilbert. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our lead, digital lead, is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Allison Inman. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. 
We'll see you tomorrow, next week, everybody. Pardon me. And be good to each other. <laughs>